11 minutes past nine, you're with SAFM 104 to 107. And uh, if you're wondering about the rugby, well, Asle Lohonolo Di Chejo, who uh, we chatted to yesterday, he's a, a commentator for Varsity Rugby, tweeted to me now, 21-17 defeat, not too bad, but it is the end of the road for our ladies. I know, and it was a tight game, I mean, particularly towards the end. And then Fiji, in that literally in that last minute scoring a try and converting so we wish our ladies strength we know they've got to play england which will be completely terrifying because england are number one in the world but uh, we are proud of the south african springboks the women's springboks team nevertheless we grow and we learn so this first song of the morning for our guest presenter great choice great choice some pure dana with bantu biko street and what a great song that is our guest today reggie mwalusi is the executive director of the south african national editors forum sanif he previously held the positions of secretary general he's uh, been an editor-in-chief of other newspapers daily sun and sunday sun he started as a trainee journalist in the early 2000s at the Mail and Guardian and has worked at a diversity of newspapers. And we have him on the line. Uh, Reggie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot for having us, Michelle. Good morning. Reggie, let's start with um, what we always do, your choice songs. And uh, in particular, this song, Simpiwe Danabanto Biko Street, What a great song. Every time I hear that voice of his, I get a little spike on my, the hairs rise on my arm. This It's really an extraordinary, extraordinary song, that one. Tell us about that choice. Thanks, Michelle. It's a, it's a beautiful song. It's a song sung by one of our, I think, greatest artists, particularly in this current generation. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an artist that's, that's not only gifted with a with a great voice but she's also gifted with the with a gift of storytelling mm. with a gift of being able to communicate south africa's history and south africa's weather current weather past mm. in a very very beautiful setting and i think uh, i think as we, we we just passed the 12th of september which is the day steven steve Biko was killed in 1977 yep. and and I think I think it's, a, it's it's poignant. It's also relevant, and it also it also tells us that we can't forget where we come from. But at least like Simpiwe Dana, it also calls on us that we have so many of our artists who are still alive, and we ought to honor them while they are still around. And I think Simpiwe is one of those. Simpiwe, Simpiwe, when she broke out, when we got to hear her voice for the first time, mm. I remember the yeah. first time I listened to her was at the market theater. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, I think I was and, at that gig, and, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. And since then, she has shown us what she's capable of, hence the choice of the song. Yeah. Reggie, <clears throat> you mentioned September and, of course, now October, an important month for the media uh, in this country. And I suppose I could even say, um, you know, the media have been uh, addressed and paid tribute to, if I think of the Nobel Peace Prize, some of the uh, winners for this year uh, in the space. 
that you are working in as well. Um, October's a big month. Talk to us about the things that are being covered with regards to Black Wednesday, but the month itself as well. You're absolutely right, Michelle. Uh, last year in December, Maria Risa, whose, uh, whose newspaper in the Philippines ha- has been wounded, who, who has been arrested, who has been tortured, Mm. She's 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 quite an inspiration. She won the Nobel Peace Prize with another Russian journalist last year. So it just shows you, it just goes to, to tell you how pivotal the work of the media is across the world. But uh, coming back here at home and coming back to South Africa, October and October 19 is a is a key week for us. It's a key week because we remember the events of 19 October 1977, when the likes of Pesitro was was arrested, when Paul Kruger was really clamping down on journalists who were outspoken, who were writing against the brutal force of the then apartheid government, and not only newspapers, but several black consciousness movements as well. And newspapers closed where newspapers like The World, The Weekend World, Bayes New DS, Pro Veritate was also closed. So we we as an organization, we've been saying for the past seven years, we can't just ignore this and say it's business as usual. It's actually mm-hmm. business unusual as we see what the media is also going through in present day South Africa. So what we're doing with this week, we are really saying let's commemorate Black Wednesday. But let's also keep the lights on for the media in South Africa, where we are raising money for, for our legal fund, the legal fund that goes a long way, where we come in as for, for, for journalists in cases such as last, week, last week's case in the Peter Magnusberg High Court regarding Karen Mon, where we came in as amicus, where we say we need to protect our media freedom and we need to recognize that the media as the fourth estate plays a, a critical role in our constitutional democracy. So that's what Black Wednesday is. And, and, and we are appreciative that as SANF, we are not the only organization that's doing this. Mm. We also have the Pesitrovosa Lecture at UNISA. We also have the Media Freedom Festival organized by Media Monitoring Africa. We also have the Agri-Cluster Colloquium organized by the Trust that's run by his son, Jerome. So, so it's, it's, it's a busy week that's, that's, that's coming up. And, and, and it's, it's that week where, Michelle, we say, look, we've been going through a lot as, as a fraternity in this country. And we keep on being asked questions that why are we so irritating and why are we still around? <laughs> and we say <laughs> we need to be around <laughs> and we will always be around. <laughs> oh, I'm relieved to hear that, Reggie. <laughs> Reggie, I want to, if I may, um, you know, you talked about some Piwe Dana speaking of the past and the present. And you've so um, cogently noted that if we look at Black Wednesday, it is about a history, but that if we take it into the present, we can look at um, what is happening and what happened, the case that's taken place in, in Peter Maritzburg last week with Karen Morn there, which is being held over, I think it's till December, and I stand to be corrected on that. 
you know, there, it, it's interesting. Do, uh, Dr. Tami Mazwai a little earlier um, uh, refrained from commenting on that. And I imagine that there are some people that are going to refrain from commenting because they just uh, may not um, either have the facts at their fingertips or they may have a different viewpoint. How do we argue the fact that no matter what our viewpoint is, surely we should be arguing that journalists, for them to be in court is is a very dangerous and slippery slope towards something else. Absolutely, Michelle. And, and particularly when we look at a journalist is in court and she's in court all because she was trying to do her job. And that's mm. exactly what she did. She she accessed documents that were of public record. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, you may have seen as well across social media last week that uh, some elements out there were trying to rationalize this. And our and, and our argument was, we can't rationalize this. It's not about race. It's not about black. It's not about white. But it's about the fundamental objective of her being in court, her being a journalist, and her having done her job and access to those documents, mm. which were there for which public Which were in record, public consumption, uh, or public domain, uh, rather. Yes, exactly. Um, and hence, we have always been saying as an organization that we will support her, because we are of the view that she did nothing wrong in this instance. And as you rightly say, we are, we are entering a very dangerous slope where people can now drag journalists to court and they are dragging journalists to court for claiming that they broke the law but there's no law that was broken because documents were accessed publicly and as as, as any other journalist would know that if documents are in court and they are there for accessibility we go to, to court we approach the the court clerk the court clerk normally makes copies for us and we access these. And that's exactly what Karen did. Now, yeah. if ever we are going to see someone as prominent as a former president taking a journalist to court so that they can prove a point, then we are really wondering and we are really worried about the state of media freedom and the kind of precedent such action could set. You know, I listened to you talk, Reggie, and I have to ask you, do you not um, miss being a journalist? <laughs> <laughs> I'll always be a journalist, Michelle. I'll always be a journalist. Yeah. I always tell my colleagues that uh, that I'm still young and uh, the thought of going back to the newsroom is always tempting. And I think I think there's, there's so much to do in our newsrooms and our newsrooms, whether you are you are at the SABC, whether you are at the newspapers newsroom, whether you are at, the, at, the, at an online publication, there's so much to do because the media has transformed over the years. And we are quite fortunate in South Africa that all the technologies that are being implemented in the so-called first world newsrooms across maybe Europe or America, some of those technologies are here at home. And, and I think going back to the newsroom is, is what some of us are needed for. And we, yeah. are, we, are, we are asking quite a lot of questions that as, as young editors, when we go back there, we are going back there to say, how do we monetize? How do we you know, keep up with the revenue? How do we pay salaries? And how do we keep the lights on? 
And I yeah. think those solutions, younger journalists who to this day are 18 or 20 year olds at universities are looking at us for those solutions. And it's exactly what we are trying to do. It's exactly what we are we are always debating. And across the organization now, there's a huge debate across the sustainability of the media going forward. And how do we sustain that from community media all the way up? But my obsession is always money to say, as journalists, we need to think about money. We not only have to think about writing stories, but we also need to think that there are salaries to be paid and salaries are normally your most expensive overhead. So that's exactly what you are thinking about. But going back to the newsroom, don't yeah, don't rule me out. And yeah, I've had offers and <laughs> those are offers that, uh, that I'll always say, you know, I, I said to the people, look, I can always come back and knock on your door. They said, when you're ready, please call us. Reggie, um, you, you, you talked about community journalism, and I've made a big flag here to talk to you about citizen journalists and um, the importance of it and the challenge of it, because it's, it's a bit like citizen scientists. I always consider myself to be a citizen scientist in that I'm like noting which birds are in the garden and how often they come and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, a citizen journalist is doing a much more critical role. They're like out, they're seeing what's happening in their community. How how do we support them? And, you know, you talk about money, I mean, let alone money for the professionals, but what about those that are working in communities who are also professionals, but that are maybe engaging on a far more citizen-based uh, one-on-one in their community? Look, I think I think it isn't journalism, Michelle. I I have utmost respect for it, and I and I had utmost respect for citizens for, for for citizen journalism when I was editor of the Daily Sun because yeah. the Daily Sun became Excellent. what it was yeah. because it thrived on tips that were received from the community. That's why the Daily Sun was able to access the kind of stories it accessed. Yeah. Even before your police, your fire, emergencies, whatever, came to the scene. That's how the Daily Sun thrived. But I think citizen journalism is quite critical. And it's and it's critical in an age where we live with misinformation and disinformation. Yeah. But fortunately for us here in South Africa is that over time, and we saw when COVID broke out, that there were all kinds of you know misleading and fake stories about the, the, the pandemic and what it can do, what it can do. But very soon enough, uh, citizens, South Africans, they started realizing, no, we need to separate the wheat from the chaff and we need to know what are the facts regarding the pandemic. And that's what South Africans are able to do. So citizen, citizen journalism is out there and we see it with a whole lot of younger people also tra- trying to do media in a different format, in a different way. Yeah. Whether they, whether they record via their phones, via video. But citizen journalism also needs its own verification steps. Yeah. But much as it needs verification steps, I think what I'll always obsess about and what I'll always call out my, my peers in the media is that we are not telling enough South African stories. We are mm. not telling enough good stories across our land. Yeah. Uh, South Africa has beautiful stories beyond 
beyond the mayhem, beyond the headlines of corruption and all that. And I think when you when you speak to any citizen, when you speak, speak to anyone, people will always tell you, you know, I avoid watching the news because they get so depressing. And I'm always searching for that good news. And I think those good news stories are out there and the people to effect the good news story are South Africans. Yeah. I would I, I would I would applaud you on that and absolutely agree with you on that and definitely I know on on the JSB that is a focus that we do have. We've got a couple of comments. We I'm going to go to the first comment for uh, on media freedom. Hi, Constance. Uh, the author said this thing of uh, I don't buy the story of media freedom. If if you are concerned about media freedom. We are, you, you are going to support the independent media. Uh, this thing of NC and the, and the FBI or CIA. But now you are picking and choosing because it's current. Everyone has to cry. But if it's someone that you don't like, you are not concerned about journalism. We have so. So that's someone saying, obviously, that uh, there's uh, a, t a taste for certain journalists and supporting of certain journalists. Tulani is also saying um, we must support SANEF and we must make a stand against the war on media, as even in Zimbabwe it started like this, and governments, especially the Justice Department, must intervene and set the record straight uh, regarding the allegations by Zupta and his thugs. That's Tulani. So two very, very different comments on media freedom. You know, that it goes back to, Reggie, what we were saying. Some people would would argue, and we've just heard that from one of our listeners, uh, my name is Michelle, not Constance, by the way, but I don't mind being called Constance, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like constant as the Northern Star. Um, that, that there is, that the media has a, has a, may have an ethical issue in terms of who they choose to support or don't support. How would you argue against that or for that? I'll, I'll I'll say I'll say bring the evidence, Michelle. As, as I was telling you, as I was telling you last week, I mean, we there there, there was a case of Tabo Makwakwa at Independent Media that was being cited. Independent yes. Media has chosen not to be part of SANEF. They have chosen to take a very different view when it comes to SANEF. But but I can tell you now, Michelle, that SANEF doesn't hate independent media. We always engage with them. Uh, Tabo reached out to me. We engaged with Tabo. Uh, the time vaccination started last year and the media needed to be vaccinated. As SANEF, when the government called on us, when the, the NCCC said, SANEF, please bring together all journalists so that we can vaccinate them as they go out there to stories. We reached out to independent media and we were talking to them and it was a cordial engagement. Mm. So, so there's, no, there's, no, there, there's no truth to say we support other, other journalists and we don't support other journalists. I can tell you now, uh, we have had one of the most expensive legal cases in our history and that case we supported journalists that were not members of sanef <laughs> and we were left we were left with a bill of a million rent after that case and it just goes on to show that we support everyone there are people who are not members of sanef 
but we still go out there and say if this affects the media and we need to speak out we will speak out against that yeah you're gonna go we're gonna go into your second song great choice i have to say uh when days are dark uh, anything you want to add with regards to that song I think Sipokumere, may his soul rest in mm. peace, was was one of our, our greatest talents as well. Yeah. And uh, and Sipokumere, if you remember what he did throughout his career and how he started, uh, it was humble beginnings. But the song itself and the message that are there is it it it, it just goes to show that you know. Some some days are dark, and you realize when these days are dark, I've got very few friends around. But in most cases, we do have our friends around. But as 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 the old saying says, uh, when days are dark, friends are few. But I think with Sipokumere and him with the song, he was in a way telling us that don't look at my career now and say I'm successful. Look at where and how I began and the kind of betrayal I got across this industry. But I'm saying to you, keep your heads up and keep on going at it and don't lose the fight. And sometimes when you think the friends are not there, they are not listening. They are always around and listening. Sifo Gumedi and When Days Are Dark, the choice of our guest presenter today, Regim Walusi, who is an executive and the executive director of the South African National Editors Forum, or SANEF, and he's uh, previously been editor-in-chief. And in a short moment, we're going into a fantastic selection of guests and uh, a focus on, um, I suppose one could say, teaching, mentorship, and the people that guide us in the journey that we take. Before we get there, though, Reggie, um, Pascal Moussia um, from Guguletu in Cape Town has said, Warmest greetings, Michelle and Reggie. Could you ask your guest about tribalism in the media? Have you ever experienced that? Do you experience that? Uh, what would you respond to Pascal? Well, we have never experienced that, Michelle, but, uh, but I think if ever that has its ugly head, we will always condemn it. Mm. And, I think, and I think tribalism, racism, homophobia, xenophobia, they've got no places in our society. And I think uh, I'm, 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 I'm Tswana speaking, and I was born in Koster in the Northwest, and that's where I was born and bred and raised. But if you look at me now at my age, I've got friends who are Isitrosa speaking, Isizulu, Shitonga, Shivenda, you know, English, Africans, and I've got, I've got a whole lot of friends, anyone will tell you. So I'm not, I don't take kindly to people who are tribal, who are tribalistic, who are xenophobic, who are homophobic, who are racist. So I think also that should that rear its head in the media, we will always say that's not our space and we are not going to entertain that and we are mm. not going to condone it. Well, Pascal, I hope that uh, answers your question. Reggie, we have your first guest on the line. And as I mentioned earlier, it bring, it's, it's completely brilliant that the two guests you have focused on are people who would have held your hand in various different ways as you moved towards becoming a journalist. And before I get your first guest, Rousseau Mutlampe, which was your high school, who was your high school teacher, I want to ask you, at what point in, did your, in your life did you think, oh, I'm a journalist? 
<laughs> actually, actually, I, uh, I I was born into a family where my sister, who's now a matron in uh, in our South Africa's Department of Health, yeah, uh, she she wanted me to become a teacher. My mom wanted me to become a pastor. But I went to a brilliant school, a local high school here at home in Pabana High School, yeah. where Mr. Mutlampi taught me English. And it was around the then standard 10. Mr. Mutlampi had a teacher who focused on our career guidance, and she was Mrs. Engelbrecht. Mrs. Engelbrecht was the only white teacher who used to drive into the township. And she used to say to me, you're so good with words, you're so good with English and you'll be wasted to come into the teaching profession. And I think your journey is for, should be towards the media. So she started you know, giving me books around media, around communication and all that when I was a starry-eyed 15-year-old <laughs> doing Standard 8. So by the time I applied at Technicon Pretoria, when I started my matric, I knew this is where my journey is going towards. So we've got Mr. Mutlampe on the line. Uh, Rousseau Mutlampe, thank you so much for joining us. Mr. Mutlampe, uh, you know, a little bit earlier in the show, we were talking to um, a, a grade eight student who's passionate about mathematics. And he was just describing his teacher um, and the role that his teacher had played in making a huge, huge difference in the way he felt about maths and how hard he had to work to really get his teacher, Mr. Arthur Sheba, uh, to uh, just grow and grow and grow. Talk to us about the challenge of being a teacher, but also the joy of when it really works and you get uh, one of your pupils like Reggie uh, doing such amazing work now. How does it feel? You're not teaching... It's a, it's a very, very fulfilling profession. You've got to be very passionate about teaching for, to really enjoy and endure the struggles that you come across while teaching. And it is the success of uh, people like Reggie that makes you feel and see that you've made a very, very uh, crucial contribution in the life of a person. You have changed wow. somebody from this ordinary township boy for this who's making an impact in life. Mr. Mutlampe, you talk about um, the endurance as well. What are some of yes. the challenges to be a teacher in this country? Yeah, you know, the challenges differ from where you are You are teaching. There are those teachers who are teaching in, in uh, schools that are well-resourced. Yeah. Obviously, they won't face challenges the same as those who are teaching in unresourced schools like like uh, many schools in, in the townships. You can teach schools where there are no resources, where there are no libraries, where there are no scientific teaching aids, and you've got to make this learner's path. So you've got to come out with something good, be very motivational uh, in order to, to ignite in this learner that spark who wants to achieve more. For the environment under which most township schools operate is not very, very encouraging. We don't have microscopes, we don't have yeah. television sets, we don't have a lot of resources. 
like recently, the, the, I mean, technology is moving at a very, very alarming rate. It has now moved into school. We are not able to use technology in computing, but we've got to provide ways and means of making this learners interested in technology. So it's very difficult to teach from uh, a, a township school if predominantly unresourced. Reggie, when you hear Mr. Motlampe, your high school teacher, describe that school, I'd be interested to know your own experience at school as a young person, but also what it was that Mr. Motlampe gave you, that he talks about that spark. And and I'm wondering, how did he spark up and light up that spark uh, with you? Look, uh, I think I think having teachers who are who are honest, Michelle, who are who are telling you that uh, it's not an easy world out there, and you have to work extra hard, you have to put in the work, you have to 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 show up differently each and every day. You you can't be you can't be, you know, relaxed and saying the world owes me something. That's what he used to do. He used to tell <laughs> me that you need to read and read and read and read a lot of books, which is something that I still do to this yeah. day, you know. And he used to tell me, much as you read, you also need to read to better yourself and your families. But where you come from, you must never forget where you come from, and you must also know that the community that you live around, they've got so much expectation of you in terms of trying to help, trying to groom the young and nurture the young as they come up. So so, so the high school there, I think, I think it has produced some of the greatest minds that we have, not only in this township, but beyond. You know, to this day, me and Mr. Mutlampe are members of an investment and uh, investment and burial society called King's Burial Society here at home in Coster, yeah. which not only is only males meeting, but we are also all the time debating how can we help and where we can we help across our township and how can we change people's lives and contribute either through soccer development, either through sanitary pets for young girls, but but that's the kind of shaping that needs to happen and that happened at the school. And I think that's something that we need to see across our young people who are coming up. We are not saying they must stop listening to Amat Piano, but we are saying <laughs> the world the world has so much to offer and there's still so much work to do. There is still so much work to do and we have so little time and literally we have so little time. Mr. Motlampe, I want to say thank you for joining us. Reggie, your second guest is someone who uh, is a journalist and uh, uh, but also ha- is an author and has moved into very different fields. And he was your journalist mentor. And I have to say, when he was um, a journalist I, and I first started out, I was also like a bit in awe of him. Sandile Mamela, he's on the line with us now. Sandile, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Michelle, always <laughs> a pleasure to speak to you. And uh, when I think of you, I have a vivid recollection of our trip to New York, accompanying oh, a constellation of South African talent. You are a pleasurable person, man. Oh, and great artists as well. It was an extraordinary thing. Reggie, tell us about your relationship with Sandile. 
Look, I, I was leaving the Mail and Guardian, and I, and I did an unsolicited call. <laughs> and, and that call, because if you remember, newspapers back then used to have names and uh, position of that person in the newspaper and the telephone number. So yeah. I called, I called uh, Sandile, and then uh, I said, Mr. Mimela, uh, I'm, a, I'm a 22-year-old, and I, I, I'd like to come and work in your newsroom at the Sunday World. And then he said to me, <laughs> look, uh, catch a taxi or catch a train, but come see me. So I went to see him, and then he looked at me, and then he said, for starters, can you write? And I said, I think I know how to write. And then he said, people who always think they know how to write, normally they don't know how to write. <laughs> so maybe I should put you through a writing test and then we can take it from there. And then we started chatting and then, yeah. And then, uh, you know, yes, later, you know, before you knew it, within a few weeks, he had made me settle into the Sunday World newsroom. And yeah, and I was there, and then he said, look, maybe start a consumer and business page for us, but also sure. contribute towards arts and entertainment, write opinion pieces, write sport, write news stories. And then, yeah, that's how really our relationship has been going. And it's a relationship dating back to, what, almost two decades back now. Sure. Sandila, you know, Reggie mentions that critical thing for a young person entering any career and journalism as well. The unsolicited call, the, the, the ability to say, I'm just going to make that call and see what comes out of it. And I won't be afraid. I will do it. How did you feel when um, Reggie made that call and you were like, OK, well, let's just see where this goes. Uh, Michelle. I should say maybe it was a, a compliment because I've always gone out of my way to unleash what I call talent, black talent, especially of young men and women who come from our sort of background. But, you know, it's very nice of Reggie to give me the credit, uh, however small or big. You know, uh, he's a generous man, and I mean that uh, literally. I've always maintained that... Uh, a guy of Reggie's caliber has always held to this day the power to be what he wanted to be. Hmm. And my role, as already alluded, was to unleash that talent. <laughs> I have vivid memories of him coming into the newsroom. And here is this uh, tall, dark, handsome, good-looking <laughs> man. Yeah. But there was this noble quality of heart and mind about him that said, this one is unstoppable. You know, he came. And he said he wanted to write, and he was stubborn, and it was clear that he was not going to take no for an answer. And then I said, okay, I'll throw him into the deep end. He should just write if he wants to be a, a writer. And I loved this adamantine attitude, you know, Michelle, where a guy says, I am hungry, and I see you've got something on the table. However small it is, I'm going to join you here. And it was a sign of strength and resilience. He joined. I'm not too sure if we're offering him anything, but uh, as a freelancer, he would uh, end uh, on the basis of what he wrote. And uh, he swam and swam and swam. And uh, here he is. And it's quite uh, a good thing that he has risen to be the kind of man he is. I don't know. I may be wrong about the meaning of his surname, Moalusi, but for me, uh, it means a shepherd a pathfinder and a leader, 
and the Reggie has proven to be exactly that. For a man who comes from his background, he has shown that it doesn't matter where you come from. As long as you have a personal vision and a dream, you can uh, make it. And uh, we are proud to have a man of his caliber in our MHL. You know, Sandile, you talk about heart and mind, and uh, I'm going to put it to both of you as journalists. The um, function of a journalist to have empathy, but still maintain a critical, uh, a critical eye. And do they need to maintain have empathy? I'm, I'm actually going to put, like, what part part of it is heart? What part of it is mind? Uh, Reggie, I'll start with you. Look, Michelle, I, I, I think, I think as, as journalists, we are human beings as well. And, and of late, our young journalists, you know, if you look what, 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 what has happened in our country in recent times with the KZN floods, with the looting in Jovek and uh, KZN, with uh, the pandemic itself, we are, we, are, we are now putting a very sharp focus into mental health and well, wellness of journalists. But I think journalists, we are we were always taught that the story comes first. But I think I think in your heart, yes, it will. The story will come first. But you are a human being. You are not going to sit there and see a child dying, and you've got an apple in your bag, and you can't see, you can't, you can't, you can't feed it to the starving child, all because you want to capture the moment and capture the story. That's not how it works. So I think the world has said to us as journalists, look. You guys are not indispensable, and you need to come to terms with the fact that you are human beings. And that, that's exactly what we have done. And, that's, uh, and I think that's how the media has been. Some people can disagree that is that really where the media is going? Are they really, you know, empathetic towards the people hmm. they write about? And, and I think the media shouldn't be empathetic towards the corrupt who are ruining this country. The media shouldn't be empathetic towards people who are perpetrators of, of GBV in this country. But the media should be empathetic to Gogo Tlamini when they walk into her house and they see the, her humble you know, environment and settings to say, I'm here to get the story, but I must do so respectfully, knowing that this is where I am and I must come to the level of Gogo Tlamini. It certainly does talk to uh, respect as well. Sandile, I mentioned earlier, not only are you um, and have you been a journalist, but you're also an author. And I I sometimes think perhaps it's easier to be an author than a journalist because then you really can engage in the heart in a way that may be challenging sometimes as a journalist. You're very correct, uh, Michelle, although there is a blurring line Mm. between the two. But uh, to be a journalist, Michelle, I must say, you need to be heartless. Develop that very iron steel character, you know. And of course, we describe ourselves as hard-skinned, almost bordering on unfeeling. But it doesn't mean that we're unfeeling. You can think of, if I'm correct, uh, the picture of the vulture and the child in Somalia. I think it was, uh, what's the general's name there, maybe Kevin Carter. The thing about it all is that uh, when we've got to choose sides, it's choosing no side because we can only be on the side of God and the truth, whatever we perceive God to be. 
as far as I'm concerned, I've always tried to keep that distance between me and the, the subjects that I'm writing hmm. about so that I do not get carried away by my feelings. But of course, we are human, but like to be a true journalist who will ultimately be fired from your job, you've got to be heartless in pursuit of the truth. And if you don't do that and you succumb to your feelings, you must know that you're sacrificing a very important part of what makes you a very good journalist. Yes, you are human, but you've got to be above the human because you are now an instrument and a tool of God, of the ancestors, of the truth. And it ain't no easy thing to be. It ain't no easy thing to be. Sandili Mamela, <laughs> journalist and author, thank you so much for joining us. Reggie, uh, you, you gave us Mr. Motlampe, your high school teacher, and Sandi Lemamela. And in many ways, by giving them as your guests, you, you have talked to the, the role of the mentor. And you mentioned the um, King's Burial Society and in, your, in your community at home. Talk to us about the mentorship as we close off of journalists, as we move forward, the role that can be played by journalists, senior journalists, and maybe even um, uh, journalists that are moving into the field as well? There's a, there's a lot there, Michelle. I mean, I, I always tell young journalists, as, 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 as we travel across the length and breadth of the country, I was uh, talking to students the other time, and I was telling them, uh, you know, they were, they were questioning me on circulation of newspapers, and I was saying, yes, the circulation of newspapers has certainly gone down, but that doesn't mean journalism is dying. Uh, it simply means that journalism is moving into the digital space, and yeah. as it moves into the digital space, it simply also says that journalism in South Africa, in our constitutional democracy, still need young journalists to come up. So the likes of Sandile Memela are there. They are there to, to help us. They are there to, to guide us. In SANEF itself, I've been guided by the likes of Joe Prolem, Matata Tzedu, Mary Papaya, Judy Sandison, Isaac Minar. These are, these are veteran journalists who are still around and guiding us and mentoring even myself as a 43-year-old to say, this is how you deal with this problem, this is what you do. So the mentorship will always be there, and we always encourage young journalists to say, go for this career, and this career is fulfilling, but it's fulfilling to you not because you'll earn a good salary. It's fulfilling to you because you'll do what you love, what you are passionate about, but most importantly, you're doing that to change people's lives, to say, I live in, in a country where we say there's a lot to do. There's a lot to do, may, perhaps, around climate change, which is a passionate point of my nine-year-old sign. Hmm. Or, 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 or I, I want change to say, why is South Africa the most unequal country in the world, yeah. where we have the, tri the triple challenges of poverty, inequality, unemployment? I can change that. I can write about that. But how am I going to write about that? You need to write about that if you are mentored well, if you have gone to great journalism uh, universities, which we have a plenty in this country, if people like Reggie, Michelle, Sandile have opened doors for you, if Reggie takes up the invitation from Mr. Motlampe, where he says, at our school we have a career day, 
can you come through and speak to the young kids about journalism and about the benefits of being a journalist? Reggie, does this mean you're going to have a um, we're going to have a, a nine-year-old uh, climate change journalist coming up in the fall? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps a climate scientist. A climate that's scientist. Like, that's where I'd like him to go towards. Yes. Brilliant, <laughs> Reggie. As we close, um, we are going to be looking at Black uh, Wednesday as we look at the dinner in honor of that. We look at um, Sanef's National Press Freedom Day, and we commemorate the day in history. What would you like uh, people to think about very briefly when we think about the media? We need the media. And I think South Africans, at times we underestimate the value proposition the media has and what the media do. We need the media in South Africa and we cannot allow the South African media to die. We cannot allow it to stop being as robust as it is. Reggie Morlisi, thank you so much for joining us, Executive Director of the South African National Editors Forum, SANEF. And guess what? It's 10 o'clock. It's time for the news. It's no longer good morning.